Welcome to The Adapter's Advantage, the podcast that shares insider stories about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Get ready for an inspiring conversation about adapting to change from Alego, the all-in-one sales enablement platform built for success in a hybrid world. Let's dive right in. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and welcome back to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, my guest is Gerhard Schwantner. He's the founder and CEO of Selling Power, a media company that produces the award-winning Selling Power magazine and Selling Power TV, a daily video interview series on sales success. He developed and hosts the Sales 3.0 conferences, which help sales leaders integrate sales technologies into their sales organizations to create improved sales effectiveness and greater customer value. Over the course of four decades, he's interviewed some of the most successful leaders and experts in the world of sales, business, sports, entertainment, and politics. Everyone from Mark Benioff to Bill Marriott, and from Mark Cuban to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He studied hundreds of peak performers and worked with world-leading coaches and psychologists to create the unique new peak performance mindset training program. He's the author of 17 books on the subject of sales, management, and motivation, and he's received the Sales and Marketing Executives International Ambassador of Free Enterprise Award. What else can I say, but this is my kind of person. Gerhard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark, for inviting me. It's an honor. So glad to uh, be able to have this conversation with you because uh, our relationship actually goes back so long, um, back to the early 1990s. Uh, Gerhard, given everything I just covered when I'm introducing you, when right. you meet people and they ask you that question, which is, so Gerhard, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Well, there are two ways to think about it. One, one is um, if this is an attempt to um, define myself by what I do, then I need to answer, I'm not a human doing, I'm a human being. <laughs> But yeah. uh, if you uh, want a definition of my role, my role is simply to be a broker of ideas between problem owners and solution providers. That's it. I love that way of thinking about the media business uh, because I think it's it's a unique perspective and it's probably a part of the reason that we're going to get into that you've been able to navigate 40 years, which may be among the most tumultuous 40 years in the last 200 years in the media business. It's, it certainly was a uh, dynamic environment, especially when uh, we started. Uh, you know, it was during the Reagan years, interest rates were 18%. And uh, I always wanted to start my own business uh, when I was a little kid. Uh, when I was nine years old, I made a list. Um, and my grandmother ran a country in, in uh, outside of Salzburg, the city that you see in my background. Yes. And uh, uh, number one on the list was, uh, I want to be an entrepreneur like my grandmother. Uh, second was to have a hot dog stand. And the third was to have a newspaper because I saw people devouring newspapers and I thought that may be a good business. <laughs> I love that. I know we met, you mentioned the hot dog stand once before. And just to be clear, the business your grandmother was in was what? It was a country inn. A country inn, she, okay. She was, she was a waitress and uh, she had an illegitimate child. She was not married. Uh, she saved her tips and uh, scrimped and saved uh, 
and uh, she leased the country in and she made enough money to buy it out. So great. It's a, so almost like a bed and brac- breakfast as we may right. call it here, right? right? Yeah, right. That's, that's fantastic. So what, what's really interesting, Gerhard, is I just completed a, uh, a survey with a group of young entrepreneurs who were part of a conference that I was part of 35 years ago when we were all 17 or 18 years old. And um, 80% of the young entrepreneurs had a parent or a primary caregiver who they grew up with. And that, and that what we're beginning to realize is that you have a huge advantage in entrepreneurship if it was normalized by your parents or caregivers. Right, right. Because essentially we all grew up with a belief system and I call it the uh, implanted mindset. Um, so you adopt your uh, beliefs initially from your parents. And as you grow up, you can challenge them and change them. Um, but you have a head start when uh, you have solid beliefs that help you put on some guardrails for your life. Absolutely. And what I love about the story about your grandmother is that she probably didn't even realize that making the leap from just being a waitress working for somebody to saving your money and being able to then buy your own business, right. that it has this processional effect, right? So it didn't just change her life, but unconsciously, the tape is playing for you as a nine-year-old. Right. So let's use that as a, as a, a jumping off point. Um, you know, I call this the Adapter's Advantage podcast because we like to focus in on a pivot point in someone's life, a, a moment that can sometimes, as you look back, help to change the trajectory of your life. Um, what's one of those pivot points in your life that, that you believe changed the trajectory of your life? Well, to me, I'm, I'm good with languages. So when I first uh, learned English, you know, I grew up in Austria and uh, teach you German and English as a second language. And uh, it was thrilling to be understood by somebody else. Um, and uh, we have a conversation with somebody who is not Austrian. And uh, then I learned French and I thought that is an interesting language is totally different. And it really had an effect on my own personality. So when I speak German, I'm much more formal. Uh, When I speak English, I'm looser. Or when I speak French, I become uh, that kind of Gerhard in me that is probably more playful or more artistic. So let's just go back to that piece about France for a moment, because I know as a young person, you've got this unique opportunity in your own sales career before you even started the magazine. Um, and so what, what was the catalyst for you to, to move to France? And what was the business that you were in at that time? I was in the construction equipment business, and uh, I was the assistant to the CEO of the Austrian subsidiary. And uh, since I spoke French, uh, he sent me to Paris every month. And I was a liaison between uh, Paris headquarters and our sales team uh, because they needed to get answers. They need to, uh, um, you know, they, we sold construction equipment that uh, sold for about fifty to $100,000 a piece. And uh, so it was a difficult decision for a contractor uh, to make a decision and say, I want to buy this French equi- equipment versus the German-made equipment. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Okay. So you kind of, you started off as, as the uh, assistant to the president, and then you also got into the, to the sales element at that company. Right. Right. 
And uh, since uh, I like uh, Paris and uh, I knew a lot of restaurants there, uh, they asked me to uh, invite some uh, Austrian contractors, fly them to Paris, show them a good time, uh, buy them a few good meals, uh, see some shows, and then visit the people in the factory and do machine demonstrations. And that was sort of our sales process. And 80% uh, of the people I was able to bring to Paris, they're bought from us. Wow, wow. So, so that thus began uh, this, this journey for you in, in, in terms of sales. And you know, I, I know, Gerhard, that uh, one of the things that you did along the way was pick up the, the world of acting and, and really started to get into that, to that piece. And I'm right. curious, to, to what extent do you think uh, learning the process of acting helped you both in your in-person interactions like that, as well as now in this virtual world that we're communicating in? Well, what acting helped me with was my own insecurities, uh, because I grew up with one script, um, which was the script of experiencing my parents and my environment. But when you uh, step into another script and you become another person, literally, you develop another character, you embody that character, and uh, then you develop a, uh, a confidence or at least for me, it was so thrilling to be on stage and uh, have the audience react to what I say. And, and getting a laugh was thrilling. And people then come up to you and say, hey, I want to get your autograph. Um, that was an experience I never had before. And uh, that helped me later with speaking, with uh, performing in, in public and doing keynotes. Uh, but also, I thought it was instrumental to understanding uh, what a professional salesperson does, because I related to acting, and I think selling is acting in a way, um, but you got to have a good script. That's really interesting, uh, Gerhard. I think that um, one of the things that you said to me that was so powerful was that one of the reasons you didn't stay with acting is that you were bored with the same script over and over again. Right. And no one had ever said that to me, but then I realized that's probably the reason I didn't get into acting other than dabbling in it for exactly the same reason that there was something thrilling about what I'll call improv rather than yeah. uh, just acting. Yeah, I've, I found myself um, drifting towards improvisation, doing a play after we rehearsed it and did it about three or four times. I felt so comfortable that I thought, well, improvisation is just an extension of that character. And that's what the character might say. And uh, I got good reactions with that. And uh, I also learned how to direct. And, uh, and that really uh, made a, a huge impact on me where you help other people sort of discover that there's a different self that is can emerge with proper direction and guidance where people then can act in a different way. And uh, I use that later on in sales training where I thought I will help salespeople impersonate a professional. Yes, yes. It's so interesting. I mean, this is one of the, the fascinating parallels that you and I've had um, in, in sort of a separate world, 
because what I realized is that in so much of my sales training that I did as a, as a trainer, um, acting was a central element, the power of scripting, showing clips of movies. So, so using the tools of the craft of acting, but recognizing, as you know, that for so many of the best salespeople, uh, the ability to improvise actually sets them apart versus the ones who are only really good at reading the script, you know, like, an right. and, the, and, the, and the thing is, it's also a key quality that salespeople need to master ultimately, which is adapting to different realities. You know, sometimes uh, you have uh, run into situations that are really challenging. And if you are rigidly sticking to a script, you're cooked. Absolutely. Uh, you're not going to make the sale. Well, let me use that as a segue, because I know you've spoken in a number of different areas about people, process, and technology. And I'm curious, what's your experience related to helping your readers and the people you interact with in your conferences to, to get those three key elements to work together? Well, it, it requires a, a, a different mindset for each element. Um, you know, implementing technology and integrating technology is a more a, a right brain job um, where, you know, the, you, you use your, your math abilities. But when it comes to, to people, um, it's not about technology, it's about psychology. You want to have an appreciation and understanding uh, what moves people, what motivates people. And uh, people want to come to work to win and not to lose. They want to be part of a team that is cohesive. Uh, they want to be part of a culture that's learning focused, that rewards true performance, and that has uh, solid metrics. So uh, aligning people, process, and technology is not easy, and it depends really on the phase of the business you're in. It's different when you're a small business where every player has to play more instruments, more than one instrument. Right. And uh, as you, uh, you know, grow to 300, 500, or 1,000 people, uh, then you have more diversification, you have uh, more role-specific functions. So in the, in the small organization, in an entrepreneurial environment, which I really love, you have to be a virtuoso. So let me just ask you a personal question on that front, Gerhard, because so many people who come to the United States as what I'll call first generation, um, you know, almost everyone here is second generation, third generation, you know, that we've all come from somewhere. But in your case, where you came from Austria, did America, upon arrival, uh, did, did this idea that uh, taking a risk in the United States, knowing it was 18% interest rates and it was a very high risk environment, was it easier to, to become an entrepreneur in the US than it would have in Europe at that time? Well, in Europe, it's more um, regulated. So in, in Austria, you have to have some sort of certification processes and the same in France. I wanted to start actually when I lived in France for two, two and a half years. Um, I had a friend at uh, United French Banks, and uh, he was a sales trainer, and we wanted to create a business, and we explored the process, what is necessary to start a business, and it was nightmarish, where in the United States, you know, I, 
ask around what what government body do you need to go to <laughs> to get a business approved and <laughs> say what, what are you talking about you can start a business at any time anywhere <laughs> so is it fair to say that for some of our listeners it's easy to take that for granted when you grow up in this yeah. culture yes. to not realize is there's many many places in the world where this idea of red tape and bureaucracy and people quite frankly who have no incentive to make it easy for you right, right. um that, that those are people who become blockers so you burn a lot of energy just trying to get approvals versus nice. trying to run your business i mean it, it has changed since and uh, there's a, a more entrepreneurial friendly environment now in europe but uh, when i came here and i thought what a country you can do anything and uh I, I, I think that that risk element is energizing. I agree. No, I, I agree. I, I think there's a lot we can learn. Um, speaking of the people you've met, it's as if, you know, when I look at the list, it seems like you've met pretty much everybody. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mentioned some of them in the beginning. You've met politicians and George Bush 41. And, and this isn't just in passing, but you've interviewed them. So what I'm curious about is of all of those people over 40 years, what was the one interview that actually most changed your thinking or perspective? Well, I think the, the most um, emotionally significant experiences I had in interviewing people um, was with um, the POWs from, from the Vietnam War. Uh, like uh, Charles Coffey, Jeremiah Denton, Paul Galanti, Mike McGrath. Uh, you know, those were all officers that were shot down in the prime of their life uh, and ended up in Hanoi Hilton, where they communicated with each other with tapping signals from one cell to another. And uh, Admiral Stockdale was sort of the leading uh, senior officer who created a culture uh, where they said, never bow in public. Um, and uh, those people taught me that you can survive and thrive in even the most disappointing adverse circumstances. And, and uh, I was invited to a, a reunion at Newport News where there were 163 of those officers. And it was such an honor to be with those people. And, uh, and my wife came with me and uh, we, we spent an amazing day in, in conversations, listening to them um, and listening to their speeches and, uh, and them sharing more experiences that uh, were absolutely mind blowing. Well, uh, just to give you, give you one example, Paul Galanti, when he was shot down, uh, he realized that his plane was unflyable and he had to eject and there was smoke coming in the cabin and he, he pulled the face shield down, ejected himself and he was relieved that the uh, canopy was opening and uh, he was floating into enemy territory. And as he came down, he saw people on the ground and uh, uh, peasants and they had rifles and they were shooting at him. And uh, one of the shots grazed his neck and blew out his helmet and uh, and then he put him, uh, uh, you know, when he landed, he just stripped him down to his underwear and he was standing, it was, uh, lean, uh, you know, the, put him against the tree and uh, they were about to shoot him. And 
and he had that extraordinary sort of almost schizophrenic experience where he he said i was no longer me watching them shooting me but i was like above the tree looking down on this poor guy that's about to get shot but in last second last minute somebody came and said hey this is an officer we need to interrogate him before we shoot him and uh they put him on a on a truck and brought him to Hanoi Hilton and uh, put him in a cell. And that same day, there was an air raid and the Americans bombed that area. Um, so they forgot about him. Um, and, and then he had to make a, you know, a ruckus just to get attention. And then they fed him and then they started to torture him. So um, those, those stories, and everyone has a different story, um, are so um encouraging to me because they show the human spirit yes and ultimately you know uh your life is is a reflection of the spirit that's within you really helps put all of our challenges in perspective because you recognize that once people make up their mind they're going to conduct themselves with dignity. They're not going to be broken. No matter, you can kill me and you can break my body, right? But you're not going to break my spirit. That that is an enormously energizing thing. And you think of the way they they helped each other during that. There's so much that can be learned for all of us as 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 teammates in that context. Yeah, and I did another interview with a Harvard Business School professor who was also a psychoanalyst. Uh, Dr. Abraham Selesnik, and he wrote a piece on uh, uh, the management of disappointment in the Harvard Business Review. And after I read it, um, I understood only about maybe a third of that. <laughs> so I, I was fascinated. I wanted to have clarity. Uh, flew to Boston, interviewed him, got a, a, a fascinate, had a fascinating conversation. And uh, essentially, I walked up out with the idea that disappointment defines your career more than anything else it's not the success that determines how you feel about yourself it's how you handle the inevitable disappointments uh, in the evolution of your career and fundamentally you have a choice you either give up and get depressed or you use disappointment as a cradle of ambition that's that's really fascinating. So basically, you're saying that the disappointment can become a fuel to help keep you going right. for, for some, right. and for others, it becomes just a spiral, a downward spiral. Whereas in in the POW examples, I have to imagine that the disappointment that I'm going to get out in 1971, and now it's 1972 Christmas, and now it's 1970. I mean, the the, the disappointment I can't even imagine it at that level, and yet. Right they persevered because yeah. they had each other and they uh communicated with one another and what i found fascinating as a group they were teaching each other so if somebody was good in french uh they had french classes where somebody was good in math they had math classes so that was in the in the second half of their uh, captivity when they were able to communicate more with each other uh, in person so i just have to share a quick related story Gerhard, um, one of the people that we we write about in our book, Mastering Virtual Selling, is Maestro Ben Zander, who has one of the top-rated TED Talks of all time, and and uh, of course he's a conductor at the Boston 
Philharmonic and many other places. Anyway, one of the things I didn't know until I got to know him is that his father during World War II came from Germany to England in 1939. But what I didn't know is that there was an internment camp of sorts for Germans in England at that time, even though his father was Jewish. So think of the, the environment of, there were about 400 men in this camp and his father organized a school, literally a school. They didn't have a blackboard, nothing, but they had chairs. And, and one guy was an accountant, one guy was a lawyer, one guy was an architect. And, and he literally created a curriculum so that people could be learning from each other. And it's just a great example about the power of mindset that, you know, when you make up your mind, you're not going to let the circumstances define you, then everything's possible. And, and I think essentially that transfer of ideas that happens in an educational setting uh, is uh, helping the community grow. It helps everybody grow. And uh, to me, the exchange of ideas is fuel for the mind and the mind wants to grow if you nurture it. Well, and that, that's really, when you think about that, you have been a catalyst uh, for now more than a generation because it was for me in my 20s um, you know, reading Selling Power magazine, it was it was a ritual that uh, you know continues to this day. So let me just uh, pivot on this this uh, idea of kind of where we are right now. What do you believe is the most important thing that sales leaders need to stop doing to help them adapt to a hybrid environment that we're in? Well, I think that um, it's not about doing; it's about thinking. Um, I think you you want to stop thinking that adapting is difficult. Um, think of the alternative of not changing and not adapting. That's a great point. <laughs> That's a great point. Uh, and, and, and as you do, the picture of dinosaurs may come up in your mind, right? right. Exactly. Uh, well, and, and just along those same lines, when you think about what people may want to, start, particularly managers, what they may want to start doing to help their, their team adapt, knowing that part of the time their team in the future will be in this virtual dynamic that, right. that McKinsey says 75% of buyers post-pandemic want to continue with. And then part of the time they're going to be uh, in person. And I will just say as an aside, Gerhard, one of my clients recently just told me that the same group of people who were so upset about virtual that they couldn't wait to get back one of the things that just happened on a call that he was with about 20 of them, they said, you know, what I've realized is I'm not nearly as proficient on my iPad as I was sitting at a desktop, being able to pull all of this stuff in and share my screen and do that. It's a lot harder to find stuff and be as fluid uh, orchestrating as when I'm actually at my home office. And, right. and no one had thought about that. So kind of in that context, um, what do you think managers need to start? What, what, what shift do they need to have in terms of to start thinking about a new way as we emerge and sort of get into the post-pandemic era. Right. I think that uh, two poles um, around which uh, the world revolves. And on one uh, pole, you have technology. On uh, the other side, you have psychology. And, and, and both are pivotal. So you want to improve the technology and aggressively exploit what is available and uh, always be on the hunt. What is the best technology that we can use 
in order to be uh, digital, digitally transformed and digitally agile. So you want, you want to adopt a digital mindset um, because we're living a data-driven world uh, that is going to be ruled by AI. And if you don't keep up, uh, you cannot play. Uh, the second is uh, 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 psychology because we are all human beings and uh, we need to understand that there is resistance uh, to anything that's new and we need to help people adapt and we wanna make it easier to, to adapt. Um, but I think at the heart of all of this is the mindset for innovation. Uh, we need to set some time aside and even schedule on your calendar mm -hmm. at least an hour a week on reinventing yourself. So just a couple more thoughts here, Gerhard. Uh, based on your experience, what do you think is the most important skill that people should either learn or improve today who are in sales? I think that, that um, the most important and most overlooked skill in sales is listening. And uh, by listening, I don't mean just hearing other people, but also sensing where they are, um, sensing their motivations behind what they're saying and uh, listening to yourself as you're listening to somebody else. Because if you listen to your inner voice, uh, you get the guidance that you need to respond in a way that it is co-creative and constructive and uh, cohesive. That's really well said, because one of the things that I know I'm seeing over and over again, even for people who considered themselves good listeners, which is a minority in the sales world, but when, when we've, uh, as we've begun to roll out this CI conversation intelligence in our business across our, our client base, manager after manager has told stories of people who thought they were listening more than they were talking. And it's only when they had the data and analytics to show the actual recording of the call that they saw 70% of the time they were talking and 30% of the time the customer was talking instead of the other way around. And I think that's what I learned early on in sales training that <clears throat> when um, salespeople resist training, they suffer from illusion of competence. Well, Gerhard, there's so much that we could continue to talk about, but this has been really fantastic to be able to learn a little bit more about your story, to understand the journey, to really uh, isolate that uh, th the idea of the, the two poles relative to both technology and psychology. And I think you've really embodied a lot of what you're talking about in your own life and with your own business. I so, think we are, we are overlooking one element of selling that we didn't talk about, which is having fun. Uh, selling can be a lot of fun. And I remember when I interviewed Jay Leno, you know, sent him a copy and asked him to autograph a copy and send it back. And then I got a phone call from his assistant and she was Austrian. And she says, I have Jay who wants to talk to you. And I said, sure. So I pick up, uh, I said, uh, he said, hello. 
is this my Austrian friend Gerhard? And I said, Jay, uh, you, is this the day where you were making fun of immigrants? He says, no, no, no. I never make fun of Im immigrants. I have good friends like Arnold is an Austrian and my assistant is Austrian. He says, you have to come on my show. And afterwards we go out and eat strudel. <laughs> You know, that's actually, I'm so glad, I'm really so glad to end on that note, Gerhard, because uh, for so many years, one of the perks of being in sales was that it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. It was right. fun to take people out. It was fun to have dinner with them. It was fun to get to know them. And, you know, in so many businesses, uh, this idea of kind of getting to develop a personal relationship was part of the process. And and clearly, it's not to say that you can't do it in Zoom relative to developing a relationship, but it is a different thing um, to be able to be aware of the, the fun factor that can happen in this profession. Um, I will tell you that as much as I'm a believer now that we've been through this, that having some in-person time with your most important clients really is still super valuable. We've also learned that there's a lot of cool, fun things you can do together, um, even on Zoom that are very, uh, it's a very light lift to get people together and can be a lot of fun. We had a, a bourbon tasting with a small number of, of clients and uh, everybody received the same bourbon by Federal Express and wow. uh, a special ice ball, you know, a round ice ball uh, maker. And uh, it was just a neat, a neat example of how so much of the fun comes from a shared experience, but it turns out you don't actually have to be physically present to be able to do some of that. Yeah, again, fun is a mindset. So, and, uh, and, and to me, the um, analogy of acting and playing and improvising, um, I think it's so important that uh, to me, life is just a giant uh, improvisation project. Well, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you on that, and it's uh, it's fun to have a fellow improviser to uh, to do this with. Gerhard, if people want to learn more about you, about Selling Power, about Sales 3.0, and a lot of the other cool things you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Go to SellingPower.com. You also can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, love to connect with anybody who wants to talk shop. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you and I look forward to continuing our collaboration. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. You've been listening to The Adapter's Advantage, a podcast from Alego. Stay connected by subscribing to the show at alego.com forward slash podcast, leaving us a rating and comment and sharing episodes you love. That helps us bring you more conversations about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that one new idea can change your life.